over the past several weeks, as most of you know, we've been looking at the gifts of the Spirit, and we've, we've talked about the supernatural gifts of the Spirit that are found in 1 Corinthians 12, and, and then uh, last week we began, we began talking about what we're calling the motivational gifts in Romans chapter 12. And, uh, and so last week we just began to sort of introduce the motivational gifts, and, and we laid a, a little bit of a foundation to help us understand what they are and why they're so important for us, because the, the Bible tells us that that we are all part of the body of Christ. And, and just as the human body has many, many different parts that perform various functions, yet it is one body, it, it, the same is true of the body of Christ, that we are, a, are unified as one body, and yet we are all gifted in a variety of ways, and we have different functions, different abilities that he's given to us in order to help the body of Christ function. You know, you take away any part of the human body, it doesn't function the way it's supposed to. Something has to compensate for it. Some parts are so vital that if, you, if it's gone, you know, then there's no hope. Uh, uh, however, there have been a number of people have proven to me over the years that you can remove the brain and it, and it has no function, no, <laughs> no uh, ability to, to stop them. And, uh, and, uh, uh, but anyway, you know, tonight we're going to begin, uh, I've got a little bit of more uh, foundational stuff I want to give to you, and then we're going to begin looking at each of the motivational gifts, and and uh, we'll probably only make it through one of those tonight because of some of the other stuff I want to share, and the one that we're going to be dealing with tonight, there's a lot of information there that I want to get to, and I tried to whittle it down down all day today to make it a, a, at least a bite-sized chunk for us tonight, but uh, uh, before we get into looking at the specific gifts, you know, one of the things that happens sometimes, we, we begin talking about these things. A lot of us in a Pentecostal church, we've, we've heard of the gifts of the Spirit in, in 1 Corinthians 12. We know about those, you know, and we're familiar with those at least to some degree. But, but maybe we haven't heard as much, uh, you know, as we talk about the motivational gifts. And you may be asking yourself, wait a minute, if I have a gift, because Romans 12, what we said last week is that God gives every one of us uh, a motivational gift out of Romans 12. And, and you may have heard that and you may be asking yourself, well, if I have a gift, why haven't I known it? Why, why is it that I'm just now figuring this out? Well, uh, let, let me start by saying this, that the, uh, that the best way to measure whether or not you're operating in the, in the sphere of your motivational gift is by this one simple test. And that is that Joy is the byproduct of operating in your, in your motivational gift. Frustration is the byproduct of trying to operate outside of it. When you're operating in the, in the arena, in a ministry, that, uh, in, in the way that God has gifted you, you find great joy and great satisfaction in that. When you're, when you're trying to do things outside of that, you tend to find a lot more frustration. Now, there are some exceptions to that. We'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, we may not get to that until next week. Uh, but, uh, but let me give you a few reasons why you may not know your motivational gift. Number one, it's real simple. You, it may be that you were never taught about it. You know, there's, there's, this is probably the ra major reason for, reason for most people. It's been estimated that fewer than 10% of American Christians uh, even know that motivational gifts exist. And of those, fewer than half have discovered what their gift is. And so, and that's why this study is so important for us as a church, because if we don't understand, if you remember, we talked about the Romans 12 gifts have a lot more to do 
with the actual, your actual ministry in the body of Christ than the others. Because 1 Corinthians 12, it's a spontaneous gift that the Holy Spirit can use any believer at any given time. And it's not you know, about how you function, but Romans and Ephesians 4, that's more about the support gifts, the offices of, of uh, uh, apostle, uh, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. But these gifts are really have a lot more to do with, with the motivations of your heart and how you will function in ministry. And we'll talk more to, on the tail end of this series uh, a little bit about how this plays in because uh, 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 just because, I'll, I'll give an example, just because say you, you, you discover you have a gift of teacher, uh, a gift of teacher, that just means that's how you approach any ministry. So it could be handing out food, but you're going to approach it in a certain way with a certain motivation. Uh, so, so, uh, uh, but we'll talk more about that another time. Number two, it's possible that you that you've never you've never discovered your gift because you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because while it's true that every person is gifted by God, whether or not he is a, a Christian, uh, but receiving Christ, what that does is that releases the motivational gifts in far greater measure, and it opens the way for the gifts to be used the way God intended them to be used. See, before, before a person becomes a Christian, his or her motivational gift uh, will be functioning to some extent, but often what's happening is they're moving in those areas in ways that are very self-centered and very self-serving because we all know before Christ comes into our lives, uh, we are central to our lives. Isn't that right? We are naturally selfish. And if you don't believe that, babysit a six-month-old. Everything revolves around what they want. That's just how we're wired. Uh, but then, even when we know the gifts, and, and even if we figured out what ours is, we may not be flowing freely in them in our lives and it's because there are obstacles that can block the flow of the motivational gifts in our lives. Well, uh, the number one is, is fear, and that's, that's true with a lot of the gifts in that, in that we're afraid to step out, we're afraid to, to move, but... Another one, and I'm just going to look at a couple of these obstacles that are more common. Another one that's very common is anger, because anger can block the flow of your gift. Because, listen, first of all, I want to say this. When it comes to anger, anger is not a sin. Anger is an emotion. It's what we do with anger that is either right or wrong, right? So if somebody, because anger is a response to being uh, abused or wounded or, or rejected or at least perceived, uh, you know, having some, some wounding that we perceive. And, and so, uh, you know, that's a normal response. And there's not, even Jesus showed anger. Have you, have you remember when he went to the temple with the, with the money changers? You know, he wasn't, he wasn't doing that with a smile and saying, let me turn this table over. You know, he, there was anger there, but he was not displaying his anger in a sinful way. And, and so anger is not the issue. The problem is when we don't deal with the anger, if that anger is not resolved, then one, one of two things happens. Either, number one, it is expressed in, an, in a sinful way, uh, as in rebellion or retaliation or possibly resentment uh, could lead to hatred uh, it, could, it could escalate to violence. You could become a bitter person. Uh, and and in, in the worst case scenario, it even leads to murder. 
Uh, so it can be expressed in that way, but it also, it can, if it's not dealt with properly, it can be suppressed. You know how anger shows up when it's being suppressed? Well, shows up as self-pity, shows up as self-hatred, depression, and then worst case scenario, with suicide. Now, either way, the person ends up in a prison of his own making. Because when we, uh, when we are anger, angry and we don't and we choose not to forgive, then we set ourselves up in a prison. That's, and we've talked about that so much. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. But, you know, the, the reality is, is that when I choose not to forgive, the other person that I'm not forgiving just goes on with their life and it doesn't affect them at all. My unforgiveness does not affect them. It doesn't change anything. Isn't that right? They go on, you know, they get married, have kids, you know, retire, and, they, you know, they go on because they can live without me in their life. Uh, but, but what happens is I become fixated on that one moment in time, and I choose not to forgive, and then, then I become a prisoner of that moment because I'm not forgiving. And so, anyway... Uh, the, the truth is with anger, the pathway of forgiveness, although that is difficult, although that is not easy, and, we, we, and we're not, we're not going to take time to teach on that, it is the only way to dislodge that obstacle of anger. Number two, uh, one reason why it doesn't flow in our lives is because sometimes we are trying to be someone other than ourselves, and that prevents the natural expression of our gift. You know, so for example, maybe you know, somebody that you love and you respect and you look at them and you say, oh, I want to be like them. And you see how they're involved in ministry and you start trying to do that. Well, maybe that's great if you actually have the same gift as they do. But if they have a different gift and then you try to do what they did, it could lead you to great frustration. And it could even lead you to a place of self-condemnation because you're saying, well, I must not be a very good Christian because I can't even do this right. Well, it may be that you're just trying to be somebody else instead of being who God made you to be. Uh, and uh, third one, sin can block uh, or can distort the working of your gift. See, there's no, there's no doubt about it. Sin pollutes. Uh, it, it pollutes every area of our lives and our, and our motivational gifts are no exception. And that's why... You know, when a person who's not a believer functions, you know, when they begin to move in, in, the, in whatever gifting God has gave, given, given to them, it's polluted by their sin. It's going to be distorted. It's not going to be something uh, expressed in a way that God has always intended it to be. It, the truth is the degree to which we're able to use our gift is dependent upon the degree to which we are in the will of God. Or, conversely, the more we entertain sin in our lives the more the function of our motivational gift or gifts is polluted. And now, now what is sin? And there are different definitions, but one of the main ones in the Bible is sin is missing the mark. If I were to illustrate that here, I should have brought a bow and arrow and a target and set the target up there and then taken that bow and arrow and shot it straight in the ceiling. Because that's what sin is. It's not like we barely miss the mark. It's that we completely miss the target altogether. And, uh, and so the reality is God has a plan for each person, and our goal should be to discover and, to, and then to cooperate with God in fulfilling that plan. Now, sometimes when it comes to sin, we, we commit sins of omission uh, because we're not aware of God's will on a matter, or there are things that we should be doing that we're not doing, 
But other times, and I think there's everybody here in this room can say that you can, you've fallen into this at least uh, a few times in your life. There are other times when we sin deliberately. Has that ever happened? You know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one here? Okay, I just want to make sure I'm not the only, only heathen in the house. Uh, you know, but there are times when we know what we're doing is wrong, but we do it anyway. Isn't that right? Nevertheless, the truth is, sin is sin, whether it's done knowingly or unknowingly. And the purpose of this study is not to discuss sin. However, if you want your motivational gifts to flow freely and to flow beautifully through your life, then first of all, get rid of any known sin in your life. Deal with that. Take it to God. He said in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That was written to Christians. That was written to a church. So he says, if you've got that known sin, deal with it. Take care of it now. And the other thing is to go to God and ask him, Lord, is there something in my life? Is there a blind spot? Is there some un something in me that is not pleasing to you that I'm not seeing? Because if there is, God, show it to me so then I can deal with it. All right? Now, one last thing. Before we get, begin looking at the first of the seven motivational gifts of Romans 12, um, and that is, and I hope you uh, brought your test back. If you didn't, there are some here if you'd like to get one. I'm actually looking at trying to find uh, a different mode that will fit better. I, I'm not, this, this works okay, but it's not my favorite uh, thing to do. But, uh, but, but some of you, when you took your motivational gifts test last week, uh, some of you may, I know for sure some did, you, you may have found that there were two or more gifts that tied for the highest score. And you're like, okay, now what does that mean? And, and I want to say two things about that. First of all, as we teach on these gifts, you may hear the characteristics of them. And so we may be talking about, two, uh, you know, you have two of them. And so as we talk about each one of those, as you hear more about the characteristics of it and the the strengths and the weaknesses and that sort of thing, you may begin to hear and realize, oh, okay, now this one is really, that, that's really where I identify. That really fits me. So in other words, uh, as you gain clarity regarding these gifts, uh, that, that may clear up any confusion you have regarding which is your primary motivational gift. And the second thing is this, and I didn't make this, I didn't do a good job of making this clear last, last week at all, but it is entirely possible that God has given you a combination of gifts. Uh, and please understand this when I say that, that, is, that, that, that neither a single gift nor combination of gift is better than, than the other. But God has endowed certain people, uh, well, not certain people, He has endowed all people the way that, that, he want, that they are for His own purposes. So well, all that means is if it happens to be, and we'll, we, we'll probably get into how you can determine if, if you have that combination, but a person with two gifts, it just means uh, that they are that, that they are uh, that both of those gifts are going to be needed to fulfill God's plan for your life or for your ministry. And, and those gifts will interact, you know. So you know you may have, and I know this doesn't mean anything to you, but uh, until we get to the characteristics, but uh, say you have uh, what's what's on the the test there, uh, prophet and mercy. Well, those seem like opposites. However, what would happen is the person with mercy or compassion, you know, if you have both of those, then that's going to that's gonna temper some of the tendencies that you have as a prophet to be a little more harsh. And so it may be that you're going to be involved in a ministry that you're going to need that. Well, we'll you know, it, so 
So, so uh, that's, that's the reality. Now, if a person with just a single gift, they're going to need that focus of characteristics that will enable him or her to fulfill God's plan for, for them. And uh, now in some circumstances, a person with a combination of gifting will, what will happen is they'll draw on, on one of the gifts in one situation, and then in another situation, they'll draw on the other gift, and then possibly in a third situation, they actually uh, draw on an interaction of both gifts together. Uh, and so it could be, you know, where you're dealing one-on-one, -on -one, it might, you, you, one gift might be take more precedent. And if you're dealing with a group, it might be a, a different one. So, but we'll talk more about that later on once we go through the, the characteristics of the different gifts. Now, with all that said, let's begin looking at the seven motiv motivational gifts of Romans 12 by reading about them together one more time. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. I'm reading from the NIV. For by the grace given me, I, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has, has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, or, or and that's how leadership is on here. Um, other translations say administration, and, and those two, we'll talk about what, what that means. Let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. So let's begin with the very first one there, and that is the, the, by looking at the characteristics of, of the person with the gift of prophecy. Now, what I want to do is I want to make a little bit of a change here in how we address it as we, as we look at these gifts because this particular gift gets, can get really confusing when we try to talk about it because in the English we use the same word uh, in, in three different ways when we talk about the various gifts of the Spirit. So we know that there's the supernatural manifestation of the gift of prophecy, and we've talked about that in previous weeks. And then there's the support office uh, of, uh, of, the, of the office of, of prophet itself, and then there's the motivational gift of prophecy. And so it gets real confusing when you say uh, prophet or prophecy because then you're like, okay, now we, are we talking about the motivational gifts? Are we talking about this? What are we talking about? And so in order to help clear that up and make it a little simpler for us to understand, I'm going to, while we're talking about the motivational gifts, I'm going to refer to this as the gift of the perceiver. And I'll explain what, why is that is. Because the, the prominent idea of prophecy throughout Scripture, when we think of prophecy, we tend to think about telling the future. Because there's a, there is some of that in the Old Testament. However... Uh, the, the, the prominent idea of prophecy throughout Scripture is not that of prediction, but it simply is the inspired delivery of the heart and the mind of God to His people. That's what prophecy is. God is saying, I want you to say this to the people. So, in the specific context of motivational gifts, we see that the word refers to one who is especially sensitive to perceiving the will of God and then either proclaiming it or, depending upon the Lord's direction, praying for it to be accomplished. So, 
So we're going to be calling this, this person the perceiver. So just that way it won't be as confusing uh, when we hear that, that word. So the perceiver then is one who, who readily perceives, prays about, proclaims, and promotes the will of God. And, and as we examine each of these motivation, motivational gifts, we're going to examine 20 characteristics of each of the gifts and then five potential weaknesses for each one. So let's start with the characteristics of the perceiver. Here's the number, number one, first one. The perceiver quickly and accurately identifies good and evil and hates evil. The, 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 pursue, the perceiver views people or situations. They look at life, they say they're either in the will of God or they're out of the will of God. And there's no such thing in their mind as sort of in the will of God or partly in the will of God. Uh, for in their understanding, uh, to, to not be perfectly in the will of God is to be out of God's will. And, and, so, and because of that, they, they see life as a matter of choices. And they, they view life as you have the option to choose right, which is what we all should be doing, or in their mind, not just choosing wrong, but they say to, to not choose right by default is choosing wrong. And compromise in their mind is not an option. They have this intense hatred for evil. They want to see evil overcome and eliminated. And they want to see the kingdom of God evidenced here on earth. Uh, a great biblical uh, uh, figure uh, with the gift of perception is John the Baptist. He was one that wanted to proclaim the truth. You know, from the very beginning of his public ministry, he exposed evil. He, uh, he, uh, he identified with and expressed God's hatred of evil. You know, I mean, he called him out. You know, the Pharisees uh, showed up at, at, uh, at, at when he was baptizing and he called him a brood of vipers. He just was cutting it, you know, it's black and white. That's the way he sees it. And, and, um, and he, he, in fact, he, he felt so strongly about, the, about God's will that he publicly denounced Herod's adulterous relationship with his brother's wife, even when he knew it would mean prison and, and eventually death for him. Because the will of God is what mattered to him. Uh, now, spokespeople for righteousness or, and for just causes, they're, they're frequently people who have the gift of perception or they're perceivers. Their, their giftedness equips them to be bold and outspoken without regard for, for either public esteem or for their own advantage. Uh, I read about a woman named Vicki, and I've known people, many people like this, but uh, she was asked one time why she spent so much of her free time campaigning against abortion. And there are many, many ways that a person can answer that question. But her answer was, was uh, almost, she was almost shocked by the question because she said, why, abortion is murder. Murder is wrong. How can anyone observe such an evil in our society and not speak out against it? See, with that motivational gift of perception, she, she was motivated so strongly to take a stand against what, she was, what was clearly out, outside the will of God. Second thing, a perceiver, and this, I mentioned this already, they, a perceiver sees everything as, as either black or white. And there is no gray in their minds. There is no indefinite areas. It's always black or white. You know, this, this is why sometimes this particular gift is, is easy to see. In people because when you start hearing some of these characteristics you say oh I know somebody like this that it's always right or wrong there's nothing in between it's black or white 
and, and they see things as right or wrong. They see it as appropriate or inappropriate. They see it as true or false. And they don't, they don't see how anybody else could see anything in between. And when you ask them a question, they tend to say either yes or no. They seldom ever say the word maybe. That's just how they think. They're, they're people of extremes and feelings and words and actions you know, because the, the truth is most people think in terms of a scale from, from black through many shades of gray to white, but not, that's not the case for the perceiver. There's no halfway measure for them. The, the third thing, the perceiver easily perceives the character of individuals and groups. They can see through and, and just get a feel really quickly of individuals and the group that's around them, not by any kind of outward analysis, but by just that simple intuitive perception that is their gift, that's how they're wired, that they can just get a feel for where things are spiritually in that situation. Like I mentioned earlier, John the Baptist, you know, when, when the Pharisees came out to watch him baptize, he didn't have to take a poll. He didn't ask, have to ask them questions. He, he, he just called them, you, you're just a, br a brood of vipers because John knew without having to ask questions, he knew that they had not come out there to repent but rather to judge and to criticize and condemn. And so he's without question, without any kind of other, anything prompting him, he knew their motivation. He could see through this and was able to immediately say, you brood of vipers. So uh, see, a, a perceiver can go into a church, they can go into a prayer group, a healing service, or any group for that matter, and soon be able to tell how spiritual it really is. And because he or she has this keen sensitivity to what's going on in that situation. They also have a keen sensitivity to what's going on in an individual's life. And I'll talk about this a little bit more in a little bit. But because of this sensitivity, perceivers are often used in the supernatural gift from, from 1 Corinthians 12 of the word of knowledge. Uh, there seems to be a pretty strong connection there. And I'll come back to that idea in a little bit. Uh, next one, perceiver encourages repentance that produces a change of heart. After challenging the spirituality of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, John the Baptist went on to say, uh, he said, produce fruit in keeping re with repentance. Uh, he was well aware of these religious individuals' claims to be spiritual leaders, but he was also aware of their hypocrisy. And, and John knew that only a genuine uh, and evident change in their behavior would prove the inward condition of a repentant heart. And, and so the, the perceiver is encouraging not just somebody to say, I'm sorry for my sin, but to repent uh, in a way that produces a change in the way they think and a change of heart and a change in, in their actions. Uh, next one is the perceiver believes accepting difficulties can produce positive personal growth. You know, tell me if this isn't true. Most of us avoid problems as much as we can. Isn't that right? We do not... Uh, on the, for, the, for the most part, view trials as friends. We do not see trauma and tragedy as stepping stones to maturity. But that's how a perceiver tends to see things. They, they almost rejoice in negative events because they see those as being the greatest opportunities to work brokenness and consequently maturity into their lives. Now, when we say brokenness, what we mean by that, because we can, brokenness can be good or bad. You can be broken, have be broken because of your sin, but what we're talking about here is, a, is, is that, that experience of once again coming to the end of ourselves 
where we then say, God, I can't handle this. I can't do anything without you. And we just simply cry out, help, Lord. That's one of the greatest prayers that we can ever pray. Because it's that moment that we're ready to receive his help and we're ready to grow. And so perceivers, they welcome the difficulties that press a person into brokenness. Because they feel, this is what they see it. They say, listen, if God brought me into this place, if there's this difficulty in my life, if there's this, uh, this point where I've reached, it's pressing me into this brokenness, they look at it and they say, that must mean that God loves me enough to deal with yet another area of my life and to bring me closer to Christ. See, it just seems with perceivers, it seems as if God just sifts and sifts and sifts their, their, their lives. Uh, he, he wants to do a thorough and a deep work in them so that they will be tools that are well-fitted for accomplishing his purpose for them here on earth. Now, the part that's a little harder for us to deal with is that perceivers also rejoice to see evidence of brokenness and growth in others. I mean, how many of you have ever, I don't know if you've ever had the experience where you shared a difficult thing that you're going through with someone and then they look at you and the first thing that came out of, mind, out of their mouth was, praise the Lord. I know that God's going to bring some great things in your life through this. And you're, well, you were probably talking to a perceiver in that moment because that's how they see those issues. You know, to you, you're saying, well, thanks a lot because that's not what you wanted to hear. You were looking for a little sympathy. You were looking for somebody to, you know, kind of weep with you a little bit. But you're, you're probably not going to get that from a perceiver because these people know, with, they're convinced to the core of their being that difficulties and brokenness not only do them good, but they do you good too. And they know that God's going to use that in your life to make you a, a deeper, stronger follower of Christ. Another characteristic is that the perceiver tends to only have a few or even no close friendships. Often uh, perceivers go through childhood with only, you know, one or two good friends or sometimes none at all. Some worry about this, wondering why they don't want to reach out to kids, more kids their own age. Others instinctively know that it's okay that God made him this way, but they, they just feel comfortable in their aloneness. Sometimes parents worry about it. If you have a child who has a gift of, of, of perception, we worry because we're like, why, don't, why doesn't my kid want to hang out with other kids? What's wrong with this? What's wrong with my child? It very well could be nothing's wrong with your child. It could be just that they have the gift of perception or in the, in the old language, the gift of prophecy, this, this idea. And because, they're, because of that, we'll talk about more in a moment, but they, their standards are so high that they don't want to just be friends with anybody. They, they, they have standards, and so that's, that's, that's part of what it is. So, you know, my, my mentor in ministry, Ted Britton, he is a classic perceiver. Uh, and he only had a few close friends the whole time I've known him. And, 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 but that was all he needed. That's all he wanted. You know, he had a lot of friends, but, but there were only a very, very few, a very select few that he felt a close enough bond with that he could open himself up and confide in them. That's just how he was wired, you know. But here's what I believe. I believe... Just as the Levites were, were uniquely set apart from the rest of the 12 tribes of Israel, you know how they were set apart and they were different than the other tribes and they were set apart to minister to the Lord in the temple. In the same way, I believe that perceivers have been called apart 
to spend much time in prayer, to bring God's word to the body of Christ and to uphold God's highest standards. And, And the truth is, time for friendships. How many of you know it takes time to build a friendship? There's just no shortcut. And time for friendships is limited since they're called a ministry of prayer requires a significant time commitment because God's gifting in their life draws the perceiver to to enjoy just being alone with Him. Another characteristic is that the perceiver views the the Bible as the basis for truth, belief, action, and authority. uh, they're, They're in the Word a lot. They love to study the Bible and they find that God often speaks to them through specific scripture. Uh, And they believe there isn't any other uh, dependable basis for truth outside of the Bible. And and they also very strongly rely on the Holy Spirit to illuminate the word to them. I'm going to try to move a little quicker. (laughs) The perceiver boldly operates on on spiritual principles. From the Bible, uh, perceivers are able to extract principles that they apply to daily life. In fact, they're often very demanding of themselves about this. You know, children, I mentioned earlier, children who have this gift, they are incredibly strict with themselves. They usually develop into the kind of teenagers who don't have to have parent, parental restriction imposed on them because they're already setting their own standards higher than even what their parents are setting them. Uh, and they they're, they're really, truly are the, the standard bearers of Christianity. They're, they're the ones who hold up God's righteousness and say, this is what we ought to aim for. And, and, and the truth is, if, if there weren't any perceivers, many of us would settle for less. And, and that's why we need these people in the body of Christ so desperately. The next one is a perceiver is frank, outspoken, and does not mince words. Now, this is a characteristic that sometimes gets them in trouble. Uh, there's one woman I read about named Carol. She began working at, uh, at the Aglow International Office. She had this gift, but she didn't know it. She was a fairly new Christian, who was, and she was always criticizing people and telling them what she thought. Uh, it wasn't long before most of the people in the office were upset with her, just like her schoolmates and her associates had, associates had had been upset with her her whole life. Well, she attended a motivational gift seminar, and and after the very first session, she came with tears in her eyes, and she said to the person presenting, she said, I know my gift already for the first time ever. I I feel that I can begin to understand and accept myself. She said, I've had so much self-hatred because I was always hurting people with my mouth. I didn't know what else to do with what I saw except to just blurt it out. Now I can see that's the wrong way to to do it. I want to grow in my gift so it will help people not hurt me. So the leader of the seminar just shared with Carol how perceivers are allowed to see many things that are outside of God's will, but that God's plan for them is usually to pray about it, not to talk about it, not to confront uh, about it. And there was this immediate, almost immediate change in Carol. And she, cha- she changed into an increasingly sensitive Christian and learned to pray about the things that she saw. Because the truth is, listen, a mature perce- perceiver, and I, I put the emphasis on the word mature. A mature perceiver is one of the most exciting people in the world to be around. Because you can count on his or her being honest. You can count on them being upfront. 
You can count on them being candid, yet because they're mature, they will also be guided with wisdom and with love. So, uh, another one. A perceiver is a very persuasive speaker. Perceivers, their persuasiveness stems from the fact that they have such strong convictions about everything. They see things as either right or wrong, and their convictions are so deep and so strong that the weight of their convictions brings conviction to the people who are listening to them speak. The next one, perceiver grieves deeply over the sins of others. Uh, These are people who will inwardly and, and even outwardly weep when they see someone else involved in serious sin because they know that that sin carries within itself the seeds of destruction. And they, feeling the heart of God, they would, they would spare the person the inevitable consequences of that sin, but they also know that, that, that that's only possible through repentance. Uh, and, and so then they begin to pray for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to bring the person to repentance. You know, I mentioned earlier that the perceiver is often used by the Holy Spirit in the manifestation of the gift of knowledge. I want to tell you a story that kind of illustrates that and also shows this at the same time. Uh, because uh, there, there was an assistant pastor's wife at a church, a, a perceiver that we'll call Nancy. And, and she looked up at the end of the service at, as the senior pastor was leaving the pulpit. And she heard God clearly speak to her that he was involved in adultery with a certain woman in the church. Now you can see why, first of all, that you don't just run up and just just you know, confront somebody right on the spur of the moment because, first of all, you better make sure you're in for God before you run up and accuse somebody of something like that. But she was just so deeply grieved over that, that revelation in her spirit that she went home and she began to intercede for both of these two people. And, and for days, she just wept before God and, and was pleading with Him to change the pastor's heart, to change the woman's heart, to bring them both under the conviction of their sin and to, and to stop their affair. Well, after a week of this kind of prayer, the Lord told Nancy that he, he wanted her to go and confront the woman. That's a scary moment right there. And she did. And the woman looked at her. She was just startled. She said, how did you find out? And then Nancy said, well, God revealed it to me. That's a scary moment right there. And, and, uh, and, and then she said, he wants you to, to end the affair. And the woman just snapped back, well, I won't. And you stay out of my life. Well, Nancy went home. And for another week, she prayed and wept and prayed and wept and prayed and wept. And at the end of the second week, the Lord told her to go again. And confront the woman. I mean, that, that's not a pleasant prospect. You've already been once. She's already told you, get away from me. But it was something that she was obedient to. And still, the woman refused to listen. And she said that, she said that at that point in time, the burden abruptly lifted from her shoulders. Now, there was still the human grief for the situation, but that godly grief and the burden that had been placed upon her heart was lifted from her. And see, God... God calls upon perceivers to intercede, but the truth is that the free will of of the sinner can still thwart his will. If someone is sinning, we know it's God's will to bring them out of this sin, but the free will of the sinner can say no to God. 
And it's a tragic moment when that happens. Now, I'd like to report a happy ending to that story, but tragically, it, it was no happy ending. Two families were destroyed, and many friends and church members were wounded and disillusioned, and some even falling away in shock and bitterness. But in that moment, God allowed, gave a word of knowledge to somebody who was able to, who was, had this gift of perception, who could perceive the will of God and know what needed to happen. And they were moved into deep intercession for the, the situation. And then after praying, then God specifically told her, you go and confront. She did what she was told, and, and, but it was still up to the people to choose to listen or not. The next one is that the perceiver is eager to see his or her own blind spots and help others see theirs too. The truth is, all of us have blind spots. We all do. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said in Luke uh, chapter 6, verses 41 and 42, he said, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly, clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. That plank is our blind spot. That's that part that it's there we can't see. Now I want you to picture in your mind if somebody's walking around, you know, and, and they say, hey, let me help you with that splinter and they've got this board <laughs> sticking out of their eye. You know, as people are ducking as they every time they turn there, you know, but they're like, can't they see that one? What's wrong with them? Can't they see? Don't they know they got a plank sticking out of their eye? No, that's the, that's the crazy part is, is that blind spot is often very obvious to everybody else, but that person is completely blind to it. And, and, I mean, let me put it this way. Have you ever been driving down uh, the highway when, uh, and, and where you had a car just in, just in front of you and just on the right side of you, and as you're driving along, they start slowly moving over into your lane? That ever happened to you? What did you do when that happened? If you're like me, you honk the horn at them, right? And then they're like, oh, and they, they pull back over. You were in their blind spot. They could not see you. This is so true for us in life. If we don't uh, sound a warning uh, where, where there is a blind spot and that person continues to, uh, to, to stay on their, their predetermined course without ever seeing the danger, eventually there's going to be a collision, there's going to be some sort of crisis because uh, the blind spot is there and, and, and nothing was ever done uh, about it. So the perceiver wants to see. They seek out their blind spots, but they also want to help you with yours. So when you're ready for God, and, and listen, that's a scary thing to go to God and say, God, help me to see my blind spots. That's a frightening thing to do because he's going to show you <laughs> And, and, and then you're going to be like, that? I got that? That's me? But when we're ready for God to deal with us in the area of our blind spots, the best thing you can do is to find a friend who has the gift of perception and, and request their discernment. Say, help me to see the blind spots in my life. And God will use them. The next one, the perceiver desires above all else to see God's plan worked out in all situations. We've actually talked some about that, uh, so let's move on from there. The next one is the perceiver strongly promotes the spiritual growth of groups and individuals. Now, this is interesting because they, they want to see the spiritual growth, and they view themselves as always growing, and they're eager to help others grow, but uh, this is what they see. They see, okay, let's say, and this is so true, they, they see a group of people, 
And they say, I want to help this group grow. But they also understand that a group changes, changes that come about in a group, they are the byproduct of changes inside the individuals. A group does not change. Individuals in the group change. And that changes the group. Does that make sense? So uh, just as the weakest link in a chain undermines the, the, the strength of that chain, when, when a perceiver sees a group, they understand that the person who is the weakest spiritually limits the whole group's effectiveness. Therefore, that person realizes that they, and they have this desire to start to work on a one-on-one basis, helping individual member, members in order to help the whole group become stronger. Uh, the next one, we've talked some about this. The perceiver is called to interception, intercept, not interception, that'd be football, is called to intercession. I'm just seeing if you're paying attention. And, and I've got to tell you, this is pr- probably the most important characteristic of the perceiver. I have yet to find an adult Christian with a gift of perception who has not been called to intercession. Most perceivers are aware of the importance of intercession. They have this innate sense that it is the most important aspect of their, in, their, in their life and ministry because they realize that mountains are moved and they realize that more can be accomplished through prayer than in any other way. You know, w- one perceiver said this. They, she said, about 90% of my ministry is in intercessory prayer. Only 10% of the time do I work directly with people. Usually, after I've prayed through on a matter, I see the results manifested in that situation. Seldom do I have to take any specific action other than prayer. Another one said this, perceivers, and this is really good advice for everybody, but particularly for the perceiver. He said, perceivers should be slow to speak, but quick to pray. That's good advice for everybody. See, perceivers see many things that are not in God's will. They, they're, they're just wired to see it. They see this is not what, what God desires. This is not in his plan. They may even be given revelations about other people's uh, problems and needs. They may have that word of knowledge that comes to them. But, but listen, here's, here's the, a cautionary note on this. If you're a perceiver and you receive that or you see those things, if you don't take it to, to, to God in prayer, then you can become a, a negative criticizer or an obnoxious meddler. That's the danger. See, because God's purpose in giving that insight is so that that person can intercede effectively. And when it comes, you talk about prayer ministry in the church, perceivers are key people in prayer groups. They motivate other people to pray. They have the most powerful prayer ministries of all seven gifts. Now the giver and the person of compassion are also especially effective in this area, but they have it with a different emphasis. We'll talk about that another time. Uh, The perceiver... Uh, feels the need to verbalize or dramatize what he or she sees. Um, um, they, let me scoop, skip down a little bit here on this. Uh, sometimes uh, perceivers will use the stage as a vehicle for getting across the message of God. They're often drawn to the field of drama. I mentioned my, my mentor, Pastor Britton, and as a perceiver, there were many services that, you know, he came up with the ideas on some of them, and he we would do something and he would come out full costume and, and, and have this whole script memorized and go through this whole thing. It was just amazing, but that's part of his gifting. That was, that was a dramatic way to illustrate God's truth 
uh, when teaching or preaching or talking. That's a, they tend, they, they may have that, that kind of flair in their life because they want to have, they want to present it with the greatest impact possible. Uh, the, the next one, we just got a few more of these. The perceiver tends to be introspective. They, they, they really take seriously Psalm 139 where it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any uh, offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You see, because getting rid of imperfections is a top priority for perceivers. They want God to bring forth that pure gold in their hearts and, and, and they want God to make them what he wants them to be. Therefore, they are not afraid to look inside of themselves and identify those areas which, they, which need to be dealt with by the Spirit of God. Um, the next one, the perceiver has strong opinions and convictions. Listen, perceivers have, opinion, have an opinion on just about everything. In addition, if you happen to bring up a subject that they've never thought about, guess what? They'll form an opinion on the spot. And now fortunately, because they usually seek God's help in forming their convictions, the, perceiver, the perceiver's opinion often carries with it the ring of truth. However, this is, and this is another cautionary thing, perceivers don't necessarily present their opinions gently. You know, they can be the proverbial bull in the china shop and leave a trail of destruction behind them because, because if, it's, if it's not under the leadership of the Spirit, if it's not done in the spirit of love, then they can go into a situation and declare something and say something that's absolutely true, but do it in such a way that it just leaves the person devastated. Uh, the perceiver, the next one, has strict personal standards. They're never satisfied with less than their best effort. Uh, and unless they're out of fellowship with God, they have impeccable morals. They're, uh, they, they, you can count on them to be honest. Integrity is their byword. I mean, this is the person that if the clerk uh, at the store gives them too much money or they get home and realize that part of their, uh, in their shopping cart that, that, uh, that they forgot to ring up an item, they always go back and make it right. And somebody look at them and say, what are you doing? Nobody's ever going to know. It's their, it's their deal. And the perceiver would answer that by saying, I would know. And I wouldn't be able to live with myself. The, the last one is the perceiver desires to be obedient to God at all costs. That's John the Baptist. He said, God has told me to, to speak out against uh, King Herod and, and his adulterous relationship. I'm, I know it's gonna, I'm going to pay for it. I know I'm going to be in prison. And eventually he died for it. But he said, I have to be obedient to God and no matter what it costs me. If I suffer for it, I suffer for it. So let me go real quickly through the five problems of the perceiver. Some of these are related to what we've talked about because each, each of the seven motivational gifts has its own set of problems, own set of potential weaknesses. And these don't necessarily mean that they're in every person, but these are the pitfalls we have to watch out for. So the first one is this. The perceiver tends to be judgmental and blunt. Uh, they, they have uh, what one of them, I heard one perceiver say this. They said, they have a severe case of foot-in-the-mouth disease. Uh, Jonah is a great biblical example because, you know, God told Jonah to go preach repentance to Nineveh. And Jonah didn't like the assignment because he knew that they were wicked 
And he couldn't imagine how God could forgive them. He didn't want God to forgive them. So he took off in the opposite direction because his reasoning was they deserve punishment. So if I don't go there and preach, they're going to get their punishment. And so, so you know, he, he, you know the story. He took off the other way. So God appointed special transportation just for Jonah and took him to Nineveh anyway. And so he got there. He finally preached uh, on the need for repentance and the people repented. Well, Jonah didn't like that at all. You can read the story because even after he preached and there was great revival and there was great repentance, he went outside the city uh, and, 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 and he had already judged these people in his heart. He had already decided that they deserved to, to be punished by God. He had this critical spirit. And the truth is, he never got around to praying for Nineveh. Never once do you read in there where he prayed for Nineveh. Instead, after he preached and after they repented, he went up on a hillside outside the city and waited for judgment to fall. And when it didn't, he got angry. And then God had to deal with him for his judgmental attitude. See, perceivers will find that God will deal with them firmly, even sternly in their, in their lives if they don't learn to pray more and criticize less. That's one of the big temptations for the, for the per perceiver is to become a criticizer instead of a prayer. See, prayer is the safeguard that prevents a perceiver from developing a critical attitude. Really, that's a principle for all of us as well. But perceivers, they're called intercessory prayer. There was a woman in Kansas City who came up to a person who was teaching about the motivational gifts, and she was just in a huff, and she said, well, I'm a perceiver according to the testing, but I am not an intercessor. Well, she, the, the teacher said, well, have you ever been called to intercede? Well, I don't really know, uh, but I don't have time for that. I find that I get things done so much faster if I just go right, right to the person and confront them with what they're doing wrong. And the teacher just, just marveled and she said, you can get the job done faster than God? And she said, as a matter of fact, I sometimes can't. He takes so long. <laughs> and the teacher thought to herself, this is just sheer ego. But, but then she went on and urged. She, she said, you, you, you always must start with prayer and only go to someone if the Lord tells you to go to them. And she said, if you're not careful, you could become a critical person that nobody's going to like, that nobody's going to want to be around, nobody's going to listen to. Well, a couple of friends were nearby and overheard this conversation. And, and after she walked away, they, they confided in her. She, they said, she's already that way. She said, lots of people can't stand her right now. Well, the Lord, the good news is the Lord dealt with her that night. She couldn't sleep uh, most of that night. The next morning she said, she came and she said, last night God told me that he had called me to intercession a long time ago, but that I had been refusing to listen. I realized that I've been making a mess of things. And since then, she has grown as an intercessor and has become sensitive rather than blunt. And people love her now. So if you discover you have the gift of perception and you have not heeded the call to intercession, watch out because God is not going to let you off the hook. He's calling you to that. See, here's the thing. In the natural world, the shortest distance between two points is what? Straight line. But that's not the way it is in the spiritual world. In the spiritual world, the shortest distance between you and another person, especially a problem person, is a line of prayer straight up to God. And then trusting God to deal with that person, trusting God to deal with that situation, trusting God to work out the solution to the problem. 
Because the truth is no one likes to be, uh, uh, to, to someone else to tell them that he or she needs to change. I mean, especially, of course, the closer you are, the, the, more, the less you want to hear it. No one likes that. However, if, if you would give the problem to God, he can speak directly to that person's heart. He can begin to deal with it. He can, he can, uh, uh, he can tear down walls of re- resistance that you could never get past. The, the only time a perceiver should confront someone is after praying about it, after giving it to God, and only after receiving a direct instruction from God to go and talk to them about it. Even then, unless God first softens the heart, the confrontation may not be well received. But we've got to remember that the perceiver's job is not to change others. It's just to deliver the message. It's the Holy Spirit's job to do the changing. Second uh, uh, problem is the perceiver forgets to praise partial progress due to goal consciousness. See, the the perceiver's desire is always to get themselves and get other people to the place of perfectly following the will of God. And, and so when counseling, for, for example, the perceiver may be so eager for the counselee to come to perfection in Christ that, his, that their expectations are way too high. And so he or she begins to pressure that person to change faster than it's possible for them to change. So that the perceiver needs to learn how to, to look at a step of progress as being valid in it itself and be able to learn to say, hey, I'm really glad you took the step this week. Now that's good. So let's now let's work on the next step. Third problem, the perceiver can be pushy in trying to get others uh, and groups to grow spiritually. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting people to grow spiritually. The problem is with the pushiness. Now, here's an example. A wife who has the gift of perception, who has a husband who finally gets saved after years of praying for him, And she so desperately wants him to grow up in the Lord that she begins to push him and begins to push and try to make him move further and move faster than he than he has. What ends up happening many times is that man will dig his heels in and he'll resist that. And and she ends up pushing him away from Christ instead of toward him. So you've got to learn to let God deal with that and let it just be a tool in his hands. Number four, the person or excuse me, the perceiver is intolerant of opinions and views that differ from his or her own. They're always convinced that their views are right. And most often they are, because that's how God has wired them. They can see these things. However, the truth is sometimes truth has facets to it. Uh, The perceiver may see one facet of truth, while others with different motivational gifts may see other facets. So the, per, the perceiver might see there's a need for change, but somebody else, someone with the gift of compassion might look at that and say, but they have already changed some. But the, to the perceiver, it's easier for, them, easier for them to get critical in that situation because they haven't seen everything that they, that they think they should see. So a perceiver needs to learn to value an all-encompassing perspective uh, in situations. Here's the last one, and then we'll close. The perceiver struggles with self-image problems. It sounds counterintuitive because the perceiver comes off as sounding as feeling seeming so confident. But here's why they often struggle with self-image issues. They have this such a strong inner drive to do what's right. And since they are introspective, and, and that makes them 
uh, fully aware of their own shortcomings, then they, see, they're not only quick to judge other people, they're quick to judge themselves. And they come to the conclusion that I am inadequate. And, they, and, it's, and of all the motivational gifts, these people are the ones that seem most relieved when they discover that the things that they've wrestled with internally are actually indicative of, of divinely ordained giftedness rather than a testimony to shortcomings and failure. So tonight, if, if you have the gift of perception, I want to encourage you and say, it's okay that you don't measure up yet. It's okay if you haven't grown up into the fullness of the image of Christ because we're all in, this, in the process. And none of, us has, have, have, none of us in this room have arrived. And we won't arrive. We will not be, reach the fullness of the measure of Christ until the day that we see him with, with our own eyes in his presence. Because in that moment, we'll be changed. We'll be changed. How many of you are looking forward to that change? Some of you are like, I'm looking forward for that change in my spouse more than I am for me, but, but we won't go there. We won't go there. Now, uh, to, tonight, to next week, um, um, I wanna, we're going to talk about the gift of server. And uh, we have a lot, a lot of churches have, this is a very common one. We have a lot of servers in our church. Um, it's another one that's easy to see. We'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, and some other things we're... We're, we're, I'm hoping to get through all of these in the next couple of weeks, um, but uh, but uh, I just uh, the whole point of this, the whole point of all of this, is for number one, for you to be able to discover how God has uniquely gifted you, so that you can find a ministry or approach a ministry in a way that you'll be most effective and find joy, and number two so that we're doing this so that you can begin to recognize and appreciate the different gifts in other people because our tendency is to project our gifts on other people and expect them to see life the way that we do and to act the way that we do and to do the things that we do and that's completely unfair because God hasn't created all everybody to be a hand God hasn't created everybody to be an eye God hasn't created everybody to be the feet. But together, if we, if we learn to recognize the beauty and the value in the giftedness of other people, then it helps us to begin to eliminate some of the friction that sometimes arises in churches because of that. So let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that you gift us all.